0: Hi, I'm Marielle Hemingway. As a mental health advocate and author, I love books. Books have the capacity to inspire, educate, transform, and ultimately help readers all over the world. So if you want to publish your book or if you need help writing your story, I highly recommend Mindstir Media, rated the number one best book publisher around the country. Mindstir Media can help you no matter where you are in the book writing or publishing process go to mindstermedia.com to learn more and schedule a consultation this episode is brought to you by Mindster media and the sunrise segment of the outcomes of sun podcast radio
1: And now, out comes the Sun with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi.
0: Welcome everybody to Outcomes the Sun radio with my co-host and best friend, Melissa Yamaguchi. I'm Mariel Hemingway. And today we're going to talk about airlines. Yep. That's our sunrise section. We're talking about the airlines, and I know that everybody has a very, probably a very strong opinion about airlines, because I think that, you know, the way we were brought up flying. I mean, let me, let me take a little venture back to the days of when I first flew and you got dressed up. I mean, that was one of the things that happened. I used to dress up as a kid. You were so excited to fly and uh, airline hostesses, uh, and there were no hosts back then, uh, would, you know, they were dressed up, and it it was just a different
2: experience because it is quite challenging now to fly. and I want to tell you something about, just to throw it back just a little bit for our audience, I had a TWA bag and outfit for my dolls, Chrissy and Velvet. (laughs) Yes! as their hair pulled out of their head and they went from either a bob i had them wear bobs when they were flying and when they got off work i pulled the hair out so they could wear their disco outfit and go out for the night oh my gosh oh yeah that's so perfect i love
0: that because i had that too i think i had an actual twa bag for traveling we went to we went to Europe. I was lucky enough to be a kid that got to go to Europe with my parents. And I carried that tea. To, uh, it was like a treasure. It was a treasure. And I remember that my parents, you know, I was in coach because you were a kid and you didn't get like, you didn't get a good whatever. <laughs> it was because I was tiny. So who cared? Right. And they were up in first class. And I remember going up there and it was like, You'd entered another world where people, you know, it was it was it was magnificent. Can I just
2: say I miss those? Well, I'll tell you something. Something new that's been happening at the airlines because it's changed so much is that in Auckland, New Zealand, Auckland Airlines are now going to be weighing guests before they get on the flight. What? Now, they swear that neither they or anyone around them will know your actual weight. It's just so that the collective weight of all the guests coming onto the plane can be sent to the pilot so they can say, this is how much is entering so that they can have, they can gauge because they're finding well, they
0: that as gauge we, and all that stuff, but whoa,
2: well, at what they're finding that as we get bigger, that the drag on the plane is becoming harder. And our flights right now, as it stands, are with the exception of a few airlines that are giving good prices, are the, the prices are astronomical. And so they're finding that they've got to, uh, they've got to try to cut corners, so to speak. So can well, you, you mean, imagine being the last person yes. on They're like, ma'am, you and your 165 pounds need to step to the side. You're like, really? oh, yeah. well, what are you
0: talking about? Wow. Wow, that's going to cost. Ca- well, it's probably won't happen in the States. I don't think that we, I don't think we'll allow that, will we? But
2: we might have to. I mean, you know, they're, what they're saying, maybe Auckland's being more forthright. For all we know, it's happening now. They just, they say that as you're stand, you stop to give your ticket, that they have an underpad underneath, it looks like a little welcome mat that people are on and they don't even realize that as they're standing there, the weight is being shot in a collective to the well i think the trick the trick is to hold your kid right behind you and run through it as fast as you can so they don't really know what is she 170 is she 120 what is she what's going on here?
0: Easy. i mean flight is going to change exponentially in the next i mean in the next five years we're gonna uh, bobby talks we're gonna be flying what do you call it like at warp speed but that's not what i mean what am i thinking Is i mean we're going to be flying uh planes because they've been ordered where literally you will get to europe in two hours you will get you know to asia in a few hours oh yeah it's it's like the bullet trains yeah it's gonna be and i'm actually surprised that it has hasn't happened sooner i mean i was you know back in the day i did i was fortunate enough to fly the concord uh three times i flew the concord to paris and once to london and back and it was an incredible experience, but it, it, that just makes me think that this technology has been around far longer. But it's kind of that thing where they put so much money into the planes that they have. You know, it's that. It's right. that but technology is advancing so quickly that that now it's going to be jump. It's going to jump into airlines, and you know, according, according to our friend john Sani, who comes on our podcast periodically you know in in the next seven years soon travel will be free services
2: will be free That's i said to i told you from his lips to god's ears because I that know. cannot come fast enough i know i know because flight is so expensive i just don't know how did he explain how Mario? did he say how that it would be free no.
0: and i kept saying like how do you? how how do we make money how do we do this how do, but he said that you're coming from that place of not knowing what it's like and yet you didn't know what it was like to only watch movies on your you know computer you know even watch movies on your phone and talk to somebody you know face to face on FaceTime we didn't know what that was like not that long ago it was well years ago or less than 10 years ago that well, we, we we're that. Gonna... So as it happens, it will transition in a way that it'll make sense when it makes sense. But I don't, I still couldn't quite conceive of how you, you know, like, how do you make a living? And really what he talked about was you have to tune into your genius. You have to extrapolate what you're good at because the human can never be taken away i was so great grateful to hear this part you know the human the humanness of our existence isn't you know like it can't be taken away. Eyed, damned, they'll never be humans
2: right well we're going to ask our audience to tune into their genius and stay with us because i'm going to i'm going to sit here and imagine while we break away flying free if i if i dream it they will come
0: exactly and don't leave because we have a great Incredible guest who is an amazing photographer today named Corey Richards. So stay tuned. Cool to see.
2: Good morning, Santa Barbara. You're listening to The Morning Show with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi, that'd be me, right here on KZSB 96.9 FM and 1290 AM in Santa Barbara.
1: Hi, it's Kevin Nealon. I have a new book out now called I Exaggerate My Brushes with Fame. It's a collection of my caricatures and accompanying anecdotes. Also, if that's not enough for you, I have a little hiking show on YouTube. It's a web series, it's called Hiking with Kevin. But more importantly, right now, you are listening and watching Out Comes the Sun with Muriel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Enjoy.
0: We have an incredible guest. Oh, my God. I'm super excited because he's so talented. His pictures, he's a photographer. His name is Corey Richards. He's internationally renowned photographer, filmmaker, director, and writer. Jeez. Let's do some more. <laughs> he is an artist and storyteller, and he passionately passionately explores the human experience through all mediums. Core uses his life as a conduit to illuminate the global issues we face and how to overcome them through rehumanization the reimagining of leadership and vulnerability his work for national geographic magazine began with adventure features exploring the most remote corners of the globe from antarctica to the russian arctic uh, as a professional climber, wow! Uh, I got to introduce you to Bobby. Anyway, his early career was defined by high-risk expeditions and leaned on his unique skill set to capture stories that were largely out of reach to others. And then the avalanche. Okay. So, welcome, Corey. <laughs>
3: hi hi and then the avalanche and then yeah. and then the world exploded so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me this is such an honor I really uh, when I got the email I was like absolutely yes I'll stay up until I'll stay up all night to do this so I'm so happy to be here thanks so much
0: well you really do have an amazing I mean your story is so amazing because apparently I was walking today on the beach and I was thinking about you and I was thinking, you know, I'm a very physical, I'm a very physical person. I'm with my life partner is a climber like yourself. And he considers himself a photographer, but we won't tell him he actually is. (laughs) Um, He, you know, like, so my world is kind of around like adventure or physicality and I, I think I think maybe I don't know for sure, but I think that I learn through physicality like I I get things um, in my body first and it kind of helps my mind because, you know, what, what I said and then the avalanche, I mean, for you, that was the wake up call. Am I right? That was the wake up call that said, oh, I got to change it, <laughs> right?
3: Why? Yeah. And and in a lot of ways, I mean, it really has taken me, I think it's, you know, 12 years now. So the avalanche happened on Gashabrum 2, uh, which is the 13th highest mountain in the world, um, in the winter of 2010, 11. And, you know, at that time, and still actually I'm the, and this sounds a little like, I'm not I'm just trying to place it like I'm still the only American to have ever climbed one of the highest mountains in the world in winter. And and so that had just happened. And we were coming down and and it was we were coming down through a storm and a a large amount of snow had fallen. And we were moving from camp one to base camp. Uh, There was just myself and two other people. um, And we got hit by an avalanche. And and what's so interesting about that is we were all we were all mostly buried. And in these avalanches, most people just don't survive, but we were buried. Uh, and my first thought was, well, both my partners are dead, but, but really what happened and the reason it, t- the reason it changed so much so dramatically is because I, I filmed as we were, you know, as I started to come out of it and I was able to free myself and realize my partners weren't dead. I st- I felt myself starting to cry. And so I turned on this little camera and I took some footage of it and then a little while later i took a photograph of my face and that photograph then became the footage and then that photograph became my entree into the world of national geographic and so in this one moment my my, my career started to go really uphill and then slowly at the same time my personal life started to go really downhill and so there was this Paradox, there's big confusion about what was happening but to to use your words that's when I was like I it woke me up but it's also taken literally 12 years to truly fully understand it so
0: right yeah right wow 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 that's incredible because oh god I I I just can't imagine I'm trying to imagine I mean you you sit you tell your story so well that I actually can visualize and You know, I've spent a great deal of time in cold weather and snow, and but to be buried and literally thinking you're buried alive, right? You think you're (laughs) right. Wasn't that part of? But you were, weren't you, an addict before that, or uh, am I getting that wrong? Or
3: well, well, I was. How do I say this? Um, Or are we all? No, I'm sorry. Are we all? Yes. (laughs) And and so there's so much to unpack here, but. I'm just going to go through it really quickly. So I, you know, I was a smart kid. I went to high school two years early, and then all of a sudden something happened and we can dig into that. But, but all of a sudden I was, I dropped out of school and I got put in treatment. Um, you know, I was in treatment for eight months and it was this inpatient outpatient thing. I ran away three times. I ended up living on the street for a small period of time, you know, and, and, um, so, addict, I think that's a very, like, it's a, like, a, um, that was, a, that was an identity that I started taking on very young. And, right. and it wasn't until after the avalanche that I started to unpack what, happens the mechanisms of the mind and what happens in the brain and what happens when we're raised in um traumatic albeit very loving you know circumstances in my case and so when i started to really pull that apart as like i said it's taken over a decade for me to really understand and start to grow into and out of uh, old identities and into new stories and right. also to really understand what happens in the brain Um, and so that's been this long journey that I've been on and certainly it's, it's culminated as I've been finishing my book, my memoir. Um, and I mean, even now doing the edits of this stuff, I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's stuff like still comes up to me every day that where I'm connecting the dots. And, um, so anyway, yeah, that was, that was a long, very long story short.
0: No, no, no. It actually wasn't. And it helps us to understand who you are and what you had to go through to get it, to, to get to this place where I mean, you know, for Melissa and I, we we often talk about telling our story is kind of it's very important to tell your story because once you tell your story, then your story becomes your story and it doesn't define you anymore, right? Then right. you release from the story and kind of come out and have access to what that story did for your mental health like Mm -hmm. your journey like who am i now and how can i place that in the past but use it so that people can understand their own story and and kind of break open and i think that's what you mean by the brain am i you know what i mean like understanding what the brain is doing
3: yeah. Well, and then you, you make such a brilliant point by bringing up story because at the center of everything, and I think people really underestimate that word, but if you think about it, story is quite literally the most important thing that we do as human beings. It's, it, you know, we say, oh, it's love, it's this, it's that, it's relationships. Story informs how you understand love. Story informs the relationships you have. Story informs every single person that's listening to this woke up this morning and told themselves a very specific story about who they are and the world they live in. And that story can be accurate or it can be wildly flawed. The, The facts might remain the same, but the story that you apply to something can be totally different. And the thing with mental health that I've really learned is that we have these mental health can be a very sticky story. And a lot of times it's a story of brokenness, right? It's a story of deficit. It's a story of this happened to me and then this, you know? And so like for for me, bipolar, I was diagnosed bipolar two when I was 14. And for the longest time, it was a story of something's wrong with me you know like it's i'm broken my head's all fucked up right and and the the, and so there's there's that story and then the other story is well um i'm brilliant and i'm you know i'm uh, amazing and all this stuff and then there's then there's the middle which is i have a neurodivergent brain that behaves in a very certain way and when managed correctly this can be a superpower That is a, you know, one is wildly false in one direction. One is wildly false in the other direction. And somewhere in the middle, there's a different story that says used to my benefit. This can be the most beautiful thing in the world. Right. But it needs to be, you know, it's like, anyway, you get it.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's very important. It, what what you're saying is just so along the lines. And I, I apologize, Melissa, because I know you're probably burning to ask a question. But what what that leads me to think, because you talk about the natural world, right? You talk mm-hmm. and you take pictures of the natural world. You take pictures of nature. And I often talk about uh, the seven doctors, Dr. Sun, Dr. Air, Dr. Water, Dr. Exercise, Doctor <laughs> Nutrition, Dr. Rest. And dr i love that they're available 24 hours a day seven days a week and they're free but those doctors the natural world is kind of the way that we can navigate a, a highly expressive brain or a highly active brain right that's how mm-hmm. you can, i know that I, I i was not diagnosed with bipolar but i definitely was depressed most of my life until I found that sweet spot of of lifestyle and connecting with nature in a way that made sense to every part of my body and my mind and mm-hmm. hopefully my spirit as well. So I think w- w- am I correct in thinking that that the natural the na- th- that is the natural world that you're you're speaking about when you when you talk about it?
3: oh yeah i mean and for me what nature represents is a way to ground and be back because our world the world we live in right now is is literally so cerebral and it, and it captivates us through our minds mostly because we're on our phones and we're over we're, we're deeply overstimulated and so in that way we're we're always living literally outside of the natural world so for me when i talk about nature um i mean we are all part of nature we're not outside of it at all and we tend to forget that because of the way our world functions and so when i talk about it i'm talking about something that's grounding that brings us back to our um, deepest sense of personhood and that doesn't require um it doesn't require psychologists. It doesn't require. That's all important, right? And and we should absolutely hold space for that. But but nature is in and of itself where we are completely and always at home and at peace. And if we can connect to that in whatever ways we can, we can get a reprieve from the barrage of of overwhelming stimulation that is constantly melting our minds right now. Um, And climbing, climbing was that for me. And then it also had some negative, you know, aspects to it as well. But, you know, that's that's the other side of the story. So, yeah,
0: no, I completely
2: agree. Melissa, please help me out here. I, I've got you're an observation. In. One is that I find it fascinating that you've been on this trajectory, right? Like you were this kid who was ahead of the game academically and, and so much so that they were going to propel you into high school two years early, which is emotionally, physically, everything. I mean, the only thing that was advanced was your mind because emotionally, right, you're right. we still a kid, right? Yeah. So, But you've been on this, so this trajectory and then you get into climbing every aspect of your life has been begging for you to study the brain because you. i mean climbing took such mental capacity everything's been like steering you it's like the universe is just coaxing you along until you got to where you are and as a brilliant spokesperson for this but i want to i want to highlight a point that you brought up earlier if i may you you made a point of saying that the challenges that you faced even in spite of being in a loving family And I was really I loved hearing you say that, because oftentimes when I work with uh, clients of mine, if they have a child or a family member who has undergone any kind of uh, challenge along the course, Mm -hmm. they're quick to say, but I thought I did everything right. And what did I do Mm -hmm. wrong? And I love Mm -hmm. that you highlighted, look, you know, I came from a loving family. So this its not as though there was this massive societal deficit that was blatant mm-hmm. right this is something this is my struggle i'd love for you to speak to that because i know a lot of people are always they're trying to hide their child or their family members issue because they don't want to make it look like a mark on them or they're ashamed or embarrassed so i i love that you brought it up
3: well it's such a oh god this is such a good point and i'm so happy you picked up on it because like as i'm finishing my memoir, as I'm finishing my book, my mom, you know, I'm here in Italy with my parents, and and we're wandering around, and we have some really deep uh, conversations. And she's like, I'm so scared. And I'm like, Mom, why? You know, let's back that up. First of all, I I acknowledge that you're telling me you're scared. And I'm so grateful that you can that you can voice that to me. But let's let's talk about why that is. And, And she's, there's this sense that still in her generation that because my life has had hurdles that she necessarily did something wrong now look families are we are tapestries we're interwoven we're connected and in its and it's generational you know the way she was raised influenced how she raised me the yeah. fact that her mom probably had postpartum depression influenced the fact that she probably did which influenced the fact that you know my brother and i probably had insecure attachments and you can get really deep into this stuff and you can say Yes, there were some things that happened for sure that that didn't square that impacted me. But did you do anything wrong? No, you were doing literally. And I think most parents are unless there's I mean, you can take this as far as you want, but I think most people really are trying to do the best they can with what they were given. And if they're carrying a huge burden of their own trauma and they're trying to parent through that, well, they're they're fighting a losing battle it doesn't mean that they're to blame there's this there's a big difference between i mean blaming somebody is is sort of useless right yeah. it happened i can see that you loved me and so now as a 40 year old man or 42 year old man we can talk about these things and but it's taken that amount of time and i just want to i highlights so clearly that you can be raised in a deeply loving, privileged, uh, household. You can be, you can have all the privilege that we talk about in contemporary culture and you can, and the brain can still shoot out sideways through your ears. Right. And in fact, a lot of times it does because we're sort of overlooking the, those basal mechanisms that that are built into us. Um, Eight. i mean my parents loved me to death right and and still i'm bipolar too so what does that say did they do something wrong no there was an environment that had some degree of trauma that triggered my brain to act in a very to develop in a very certain way
0: yeah that i love that you brought that up because that family genetic you know because we do worry about i i think that that was one of my biggest fears my entire childhood was that i was going to end up i have a schizophrenic sister older sister and then my sister margo who took her life was like my, mm-hmm. my grandfather probably Ernest, was probably if he were to live today would have been diagnosed almost by people,
3: certainly right? almost certainly Antic, yeah
0: panic episodes and then deep deep depression right and yet we don't think you know, that he was not a valid human being and, 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 you know, made an impact on our world. Right. But, but, you know, those fears are so big and they're so deep seated. And, and, and I love that, you know, and it took me a long time in my life to realize, Oh, that, that doesn't necessarily have to be me. That's not my story. And also we can be orchestrators of a new story, right? You can, mm-hmm. tell, you can tell your story, you can release the story, and then you can figure out ways to manage what you've been given. Right. Yeah.
3: Well, and, and if, and if we think of, if we think of, so really there's there, Freud said this in 1895 and then Judith, I think it's Judith Herman um, and, and, I'm sorry if that name's wrong. She she came back with it in 1995 that said, look, all psychological dysfunction or what Freud was calling hysteria is really just one diagnosis, and that's trauma. And so everything that we see is spinning forward from traumatic events or a, ser- a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, when we can understand what happened, That's the jumping off point. But to your point, uh, oftentimes we 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 think that understanding is healing. So we think, oh, I know what happened to me when I was a kid. And so now this explains everything. Well, that doesn't change all the behaviors that you've learned for 35 or 40 or 70 years. So that's that's where the story becomes uh, problematic. Well, now I know the story. So now I'm healed. No, 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 no. Now, you know where to start. That's, Does that exactly, make
0: sense? that's exactly right. Yeah, I, that's yes. exactly how I see it. It's like know your story, learn that it's a story, move on from the story, and figure out a solution. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. What you're talking about is great. I I, I talk a little bit about something that you're not as known for is your passion about fashion. I mean, <laughs> fashion. yeah. You have to just tell us a little bit about that. I know that's a complete segue, but it is fascinating.
3: I well, not- I mean, I started I started my photography career in fashion. I was a fashion assistant. You know, I assisted a photographer. I traveled all over with him, and. Um, I was started as a second assistant and then I worked up to first assistant. And then uh, after the the first assistant that I started under left. And then when I started working for national geographic, Mark, who was, who was the first assistant when I started, started working for me as my assistant. And so there's this, but, but fashion has always driven. I'm just, I'm so, Oh, I I love how people express (laughs) themselves. I love it. It's just amazing. and, and, when we think of when we think of that as an, as an expression of psychology it becomes even more amazing you know what are people trying to say and how do we craft identities these very very deep identities right yeah. and what does fashion even mean like when i was a climber um when i was climbing a lot in my 20s my fashion was like torn up pants, you know, and like the dirtiest down jacket I could find with like duct tape all over it. Cause that was my fashion expression. You know, I was, I was claiming an identity. That's yeah. why I think fashion is beautiful.
0: Yeah. I love it.
3: So it's fun. It's funny that you noted that, but it's been, um, yeah, I wish I could go back to it now, but you can see I'm really rocking it for you guys. My white t-shirt.
0: <laughs> You're always rocking it. Don't you worry yeah. about it. Uh, (laughs) Tell us what you're doing in Rome.
3: Um, Well, my dad is. um, Well, I'm finishing the book, I'm finishing my edits, but my dad is uh, he's 80 and he's got stage four. Well, He's got terminal liver cancer. And um, so he's really slow these days. And we my mom and I wanted to kind of go on one last adventure i mean it's his movement is so impaired now that it's hard but we've managed to just go see some things because he was the one that taught us how to climb and taught us how to ski and so to to move around with him in this way is is both heartbreaking but also really illuminating and and in some ways very life-giving because it it just um it does put a time stamp on things in a meaningful way where it's this is not a you know i'm half his age so this is not a this is this is not a forever game right and it in some ways imparts a very deep sense of urgency on me to um get my shit together uh and and start you know having the impact on the world that i really want to which ironically i don't think i've even scratched the surface of yet so um yeah it's you know, it's it's, time. It, oh
2: i'm sorry i was going to tell you you know we we measure everything with time, right? That's like our that's like our big. It's either cosmic time, digital uh-huh. time, whatever it is, and the fact that you're you're almost forcing time to slow down. Mm -hmm. you're playing a hand in it by spending that time with your dad. And that's, it's one of the greatest gifts I think we can give. We always talk about the value of time. And I think that you slowing it down, pulling it in and just saying, no, no, the world needs to stop. You're still working. You're still doing a podcast at 11 o'clock at night. You're still making things happen. But while, where he is concerned, you've chosen to take control. I have a, I'm the youngest of three and my middle brother was born completely deaf. Oh, wow. He's convinced and he can lip read and he i I never could get away with anything he could read the side of my face and i was telling on him and he you know he said he knew what i was doing so he's very savvy but he was never he's never had um stress clumps in your shoulders that you get really tight he's never had a headache and when i asked him why i think he was 40 when i asked him he said i'm not worried about time and he said hearing people made up time and you're very controlled by it and i thought Yeah, he's right. So I just, I want to honor that you have made a concerted effort to slow down the time um, with you and your dad and your mom and your family together. It's really, it's powerful. Yeah. it's,
3: It's very healing for us too. You know, we've been through a lot and also to... keep joking that you know i think this is what they call a healed family and it could have gone a very different direction but i back to what we very first you know story there are two things there's story and there's time time is what we have and story is what we fill it up with and how we navigate it and they're the two one is the most precious and the other is the most important thing that we have and i don't yeah i mean i it's just love at this point and it's and it's
2: Yeah,
3: I know that sounds so so pithy, but it's true.
2: It is powerful. It's powerful, true. Love is love.
0: That might be the one thing that is healing, right? Yeah, Yeah. that's the one thing that you can rely on that's actually working in your favor.
3: Well, it's there's that one that there's a really beautiful quote, and I think it's Buddha that was uh, he said, you know, like anger is like holding an ember in your hand with the intent to throw it at somebody. You know, it's it's only you that gets burned, and nice. um, and, and there's something to that where you can. And, and this takes a long time. This has taken again forty two years for me to to come back to this place where I've sort of I'm starting to realign. I've been so cerebral and so focused on creativity and so focused on making and doing and doing and doing that I've I, I really lost touch with what was happening down here and it only was very recently that i started to feel that i was i was reconnecting my head and my heart and there's a lot of science that supports that healing happens when we when we come out of the sort of cerebral space and back down into our body space which is what you were saying earlier about being in nature and that does that that connects us in a way and um do you meditate I, i do yeah, I do. I, 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 But it usually like, I want to be the guy that's like, and I love Tim Ferriss. I want to be the guy that's like on Tim Ferriss being like, I wake up every morning at five and meditate for this long. And then I do this. And then I journal. And then I do this. And I'm like, man, it's kind of bullshit. I go in spurts. You know i'll meditate every day at five in the morning for six months and then i'll just not do it for eight months and it's fine i think we're, we're all trying to just hack I, our way through
0: i completely agree with you i think also when we put these measures of like this is what we have to do and give yourself permission to not do something to do nothing yeah. and the hardest thing for me is like learning that doing nothing is actually probably good for me sometimes I, you, you, know? you guys know
3: that the term fomo right fear of yeah, missing yeah. out yeah. have you heard jomo no the joy of missing out
1: oh, i <laughs> like I'm
3: it. really i'm really like practicing it. that right now i'm just like no it's cool i know my life will speed back up but right now it's this really beautiful gentle moment where i get to write and i'm you know the two books could and it's sort of like collecting life tying a rope like tying a bow on it and being like okay that's done next chapter but right now it's it's just gentle time where i'm like no i'm really i've got some joy of missing out it's it's it's,
2: i like that giomo
3: giomo giomo
2: yeah you yeah you
3: are in italy giomo yeah right (laughs) so easy to say
2: how much longer
0: are you there
3: um, well, I think I'm coming home in two days. We've been here about twelve days, so uh, which is the longest time. You know, I left home when I was 15, so this is the longest time I've spent with my parents in 30 years, and that's yeah, wow,
2: that's huge.
3: Yeah, and we haven't fought once. I mean, I don't even know what's I don't, and we ah. haven't like even bickered. We haven't even bickered. It's great. So, that's so good.
0: That's really good. Yeah. Okay. Well, good on you. That's yeah. A- <laughs> So when you're, so you'll go back. You'll, where do you, where do you go back to? What's your, where's your life that happened? My,
3: my life right now is in Santa Monica. So I live, yeah, I'm my neighbors. I live neighbors. down the street from you. I know, I know you do. And we actually, yeah, um, I know we're, we're close. And there's a reason I know that, that I'll tell you after the show. Um <laughs> oh But no, no, it's no. not creepy. I promise. Um <laughs> It's social. Um, uh, uh,
2: Erwan going, oh Yeah,
3: exactly. God. That's exactly. It's where in the Palisades, Erwan. Um, spending yeah. every time I go in there, I'm like, Well, I'm gonna spend yeah. a bank account for kale chips and some <laughs> coconut water. Um, and for some reason, I keep doing it. Um,
0: <laughs> and you keep saying to yourself, I'm not gonna do it next week. I'm I like,
3: remember. Why? Why do I do that? Uh, but, um,
0: That's really what I was talking about when I was talking about addiction,
3: by the way. (laughs) Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) We can get into the addiction stuff too. I'm I've got nothing but time and I love to talk about this (laughs) stuff, but um, I'm sorry. Oh no, no, not at all. Um, Santa Monica is home and, uh, and that's kind of, I still get to travel a little bit, but uh, obviously post COVID, um, or COVID, and then uh, with a lot of this, like George Floyd, for example, all of that had a really big impact on my work, and I think in, in meaningful ways. And so, I stepped away from National Geographic, and I stepped away from climbing recently to just kind of um, slow down in this moment between before it speeds back up. So Yeah,
0: I hear you. Will you go back to National Geographic or fashion photography or both or or is it really your book now and kind of in pursuit of that?
3: It's my book. Uh, So there's two books. Uh, There's the memoir, which is called The Color of Everything and. Then there's a coffee table book, which will come out six months after that. So the, the memoir comes out uh, next year, this time next year. And then coffee table comes out holiday 24. And that that book is called Bipolar, um, which is a play on the fact that I've shot from the Arctic to Antarctica, but then uses my brain basically as a map to talk about how photography has shaped me. So very smart. Yeah. Oh, so um, beautiful! You're,
0: you're, you're, you, I don't know, your, your, your—I don't know—your story, your adventure, the way you conceive of life, and the way you conceive of art
2: is truly inspiring. It is. Aww. I'm it's, having FOMO about your Jomo and Romo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that was amazing. I want to high five the screen.
2: Oh. Oh. Yeah.
3: Um. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely been a journey, and it's keeps unwinding. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's come up from writing that I'm like, oh god, now I need to look into that, you know, and 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 things that I'm learning about. I, I mean, I just keep pulling on this this yarn ball of mental health and and trying to figure out where, how deep it goes. You know, not in me, but yeah. but, but societally, because we see it it, it. it is that is a real pandemic. You know, it's a pandemic of the mind and. Yeah um it's got, and, and
0: because of the pandemic it's it's become highly problematic
3: it's become amplified it, it, it amplified it you know
2: it's, yeah well, and people cannot ignore it they cannot ignore it anymore no they, they can't can. act like it's not an issue yeah
3: well and it's i mean there's so much that's and and, and it's it's the pandemic but then it's the whole cultural and societal structure that we've been raised in, men and women. and it's and now we're seeing it just sort of spill over in ways that we haven't before. And I think you're right. it was tipped over uh, and accelerated by isolation, which oh, yeah. we Absolutely. know is-
0: and that's the worst thing you can do for somebody who's suffering from any kind of mental issue is the yeah. that yeah, you're not heard, but now all of a sudden you're not seen either. and you' mm-hmm. completely at a loss. Well, I w- I could talk to you for hours because you're fascinating and
3: super fun. Let's do it again.
0: Let's do it again. I love that's it. Good. Thank you so much, Corey. And please, when you're in Santa Monica, I want you to yell really loud because
2: I will hear you. <laughs> Next, time will. Next time, step out from the bushes. Next time, step out from the bushes. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> oh, that's right. That's what I, <laughs> I will. I will. Photo thank, you. thank
2: you so much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank
3: no. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is so great. It's such a joy. I really appreciate it.
0: And give your parents a big squeeze for me. Yeah. I
3: will. I promised. Huge Love squeeze. Your
2: parents. Yeah.
0: Good. All right.
3: <laughs> All right.
2: Awesome.
0: Hey, good morning everyone. You are listening to the Morning Show with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi right here on KZSB 96.9 FM and 1290 AM in Santa Barbara. him i love him he's such a sweetheart and now i know he told me uh before we came back where we had met or knew about each other and it's through a friend of bobby and i's kenny kane who is this amazing trainer who's just all about community and connection and i could see once he said that i could see that in him he's all about heart and yeah, kind of family community and of course how incredible was he with his Family, I mean, I literally almost cried a few times.
2: Well, I, I, I'm always so appreciative of anyone, any guest, anybody you ever meet who is willing to crack to show you the vulnerability yeah. because those are the moments where we learn. You know, it's, we often think that we're going, we're going through pain alone, and no one can possibly understand what we're thinking or what we're feeling or what we're going through. And we, we all get into it. I do. Oh, woe is me! It's I'm going through so much, and to hear anyone crack open or watch them and say, "No, no, this is what my life has been." It's not that you feel good because misery loves company. It's because you're not alone yeah so, you know i'm not alone someone understands my pain and i'm not i'm not mad i'm not i'm not insane i've i'm i'm not walking this alone so i know that you know i think i think he is one of the he's a treasured spirit he really is treasured spirit and here's the here's the other thing that is so great about
0: what he was talking about is that he has embraced a diagnosis back when he was 14 years old, that yeah. he was polar. Right. And yet it's not a handicap. He's turned that into, okay, that's a piece of me. And now I, I have all these tools and that's really what, you know, for me and for you, Melissa, it's, it's what it's about. It's you find that work for you. It's what the Marielle Hemingway foundation.org is about. It's about, Let's help people find the tools that work for them. And yes. that's so specific to each individual. I love he's so inspiring because he's saying, look, we I mean, my grandfather, Ernest Hemingway, and I said this in the interview, as you heard, you know, he was he if he was living today, he would probably be diagnosed bipolar, but it doesn't make him less of a writer or no. less human. That's right? right. That's but right. But probably wouldn't drink as much as he did, but he was, you know, self-medicating. So anyway, this has been an incredible, an amazing time, an amazing, I don't know, an amazing hour for for our audience and for us, just to learn something about a human who's making everything work.
2: Well, and the good news is he wants to come back. So he, he wants to it. share more with the audience and how lucky are we that we, we get to have him back. And I like, you know, he's got a good sense of humor when you can laugh at yourself. Arianna Huffington posted something recently that I saw. She's She every once in a while will throw out these really feel good clips. And there was this video of a little baby. I mean, I don't know, like maybe eight months old, between six and eight months. And the baby is lying on his stomach and sees himself in the mirror, sees his reflection and burst out laughing. For some, you know, the baby laughter. For you, every time he, he and then he'd look away for a minute, then he'd catch his glimpse again and burst out laughing. And the 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 tagline is, "Never stop laughing at yourself." And when you've got a good sense of humor, well, I know that our audience is going to want to know where to find Corey Richards and all of his genius. Mary, do you have his information? Yes,
0: I do. You can see him on Instagram, and it's a glorious page at Corey Richards, and that's C O R Y r-i-c-h-a-r-d-s and you can also go to his site which is coryrichards.com pretty easy and he's also on twitter at Corey richards um so it, check his photographs out check his message out because he's he's a special person we gotta connect with him all of us every one of us god love each and one of us tiny tim And I'll see you again, all of you. And also you, Melissa. (laughs) I'll see you too. Choose healthy. Choose you. Out comes the sun. Please go to Foundation.org. Help us create a resource navigator for people with mental health issues. We're coming up with solutions.
1: Outcomes the Sun has been a production of Evolve Entertainment. Hosts, Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Executive producer, Jeremiah Higgins. Sound engineer and producer, Richard
3: Dr. D. Dugan. And sound engineer, Slater Smith.
1: Thank you for listening.